Welcome back to the Tickle the Time podcast. I'm your host, Brooks Um Sorry for the uh, inconsistent um, release schedule the past couple weeks. I am currently planning my wedding, which will take place in just, uh, just over a week from now. So given that uh, I haven't been able to research and record as much as I'd like to, um, over the past couple weeks, and again, and we'll probably not be able to over the next couple weeks too with wedding, honeymoon, all that kind of stuff going on, but I'm going to try and get episodes out as often as possible and make sure that they're of the same quality as to be expected. Um, I don't want to rush stuff out when I don't have time to research and type up good outlines and prepare good shows, so um, <clears throat> that's kind of what puts a hamper in getting them, getting them out consistently, but um, despite not being able to put them out, as much as I like, you know, we still got great NBA action going down every single night, and so a couple good things uh, to get into today. I'm mainly going to talk about um, the terror that James Harden and the Houston Rockets have been on, and as well as with the trade deadline coming up, some moves that we've seen happen, um, some moves that could happen, some guys that seem to be on the block, and also like what are the Pelicans going to do? Um, they're they're pretty pretty big talk to talk when it comes to the trade deadline and. They're probably the number one team that's going to be. We'll see what they do, what's happened, the biggest question marks. And they're going to provide the most intrigue um, if they do make a decision uh, to, to do something significant or at least make moves in general. But uh, to hop into it and get started, I'm talking about James Harden and the Rockets. Um, I am known for not be, being the biggest uh, Harden fan. Um, his consistently to kind of like force the refs to make a call is not something that i like to watch at least but you know uh real recognize real you got to recognize how well he's been playing um in the last 15 games since uh december 13th which was um right before uh chris paul went out with injury the rockets have been on a tear they've been 12 and 3 um with an average margin of victory of 10.6 points and this has largely been due to um, Harden's play. Harden has averaged uh, 40.5 points, 9.5 assists, and 7.3 rebounds over that time. He's also shooting 40% from the three-point line on 15 attempts per game, which is just crazy that he's attempting 15 threes per game just himself. And he's also averaging 88% from the free-throw line on about 13 attempts a game. Um, he's overall um, taking about uh, 26 field goal attempts per game over this streak, and so he's, he, you know, he's getting 13. He's getting basically for every one field goal attempt, he's getting half free throw attempt, which is pretty, pretty high rate, um, especially for a guard. It would rank up there um, in um, towards the top 10 in all time uh, guard free throw output uh, when you look at it, and uh, is close to um, Harden did this for a season a couple seasons ago, and so just kind of. Playing at this rate, um, getting to the free throw line at this rate is definitely incredibly um, powerful. It, it helps his efficiency and um, it makes him a, a, just an absolute bear to guard. Um, he's, we've, we've also seen him kind of weaponize um, what is probably uh, the step back. It's probably the best step back in the league, and that the fact that Harden has turned his step back not to just to a good shot or an okay shot or a makeable shot, but into a great shot, into this legitimate weapon that, like, Harden is taking step back threes at the rate that most people take wide open threes, and he's also hitting them at just about the rate that most people take wide open threes, which is absolutely incredible when you think about it. Given everything that goes into a step back, um, what you have to do, the fact that you're 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 making this aggressive move just to get separation, so you're already guarded, um, and and how you have to go about getting just the space to get the three off, the fact that he's making them. Um, 
it's pretty incredible. I think it's definitely um, comparable to the fact that like when we see Steph come out of pick and rolls and the big has dropped a little bit, but not all the way, um, and the person is trailing behind him and Steph just fires up a shot in that tight window of space, you know, we watch that play happen and we just assume, oh, everyone should be able to do that. And then you watch people, um, Jam Jamal Mercer, you know, other prolific pull-up three shooters, um, that aren't quite at Steph's level could do that and then you realize that that little bit of space where Steph gets a shot up is not that much space at all But when you watch Steph do it, you're like, oh any point guard in the NBA should be able to get up a shot in that situation consistently You kind of realize he can't and they can't do it effectively either and that's kind of the same thing We're seeing with Harden. There's only one kind of uh, one player that kind of does Harden Step backs consistently and we're seeing that with Luka Doncic, but he's a rookie and he's not doing it at nearly the level Harden is but that's kind of the rarity of the of Harden's um, step back and how often he uses uses it, which kind of which is part of his game that I think is is, is incredible. It's just the ability when he does the step back and when he does it legally and he doesn't travel, uh, the fact that he gets creates so much space, he gets an open shot and then he hits that open shot so consistently. That's like a kind of a one of a kind skill that you don't see much of, um, and should definitely be uh, watched, respected, and enjoyed while we while we have the ability to to enjoy it and not like overlooked or put down too much um now I, I am lavishing praise on Harden, but i don't love it you know love every part of his game i think when he puts the onus on the refs to make a call he's kind of leaning into um the refs to kind of send his game to the next level uh you know if you took the, out the factor of the refs whereas if the player defending and this is the way i way i argue because it's like oh if you just take away his free throw attempts but you can't just do that and then kind of look at him from that perspective what you have to think about is if he was if, if he wasn't doing that or if he was officiated more normally that would take the fear away from the defender in contact in certain things and then the defender might be a little bit closer on the step back he might be a little bit closer on all the other shots the defenders might be able to play a little bit more aggressively all those things would change and so that's why you know i, I am hesitant to jump all the way on the on for for guys who have who kind of require the refs to to uh, ref things in a certain way um to kind of have their effectiveness and their efficiency reach peak levels now I think Harden, with his three-point shooting, has kind of proved that he doesn't need the refs to reach that peak efficiency. But that—that was—that's definitely been my worry about him um, before, and will continue to be my worry about him. Especially, we have to see how he performs in the playoffs and what happens when teams defend in a certain way, so that when he's, you know, when the refs make a make a call, make a call, it's because the the he actually got fouled, and the teams are gonna, you know, be like, all right, well, you, we'll let you take free, we'll let you pull up for mid range and do all this other stuff, and just kind of see, you know, the type of defense that we've seen the Spurs put on him consistently, and you know, going deep into a series is because we've seen him flag in the playoffs and in late game series, how that will affect him. And that's definitely also something to look at because he's already been playing uh, like 38 minutes a game over this run, and that's a that's a significant burden. He's carrying much of the offensive load, and we'll see how much that slows him down, um, how much he can use the break they will get for the All-Star game to kind of energize and recharge. But either way, um, the point differential that they've been playing with with Harden, the Rockets have been playing with with Harden, playing at this elite level is a plus 7.3 um, since December 13th, which is which was is good for about 58 wins if you played that at a, at the level all season long, which is huge for them. I mean that's a huge difference. They've kind of fought their way um, back into the West playoff race uh, where they sit now at 24 and 17. They're in a three-way tie for the five, six, seven seeds with the Clippers and Spurs, with the Clippers just above them, Spurs just below them. But they're only three games above the nine seeds, so they're going to continue to have to play kind of at this caliber and at this level um, for the rest of the season to kind of stay in the hunt in the playoff race. Um, they have gotten some um, some solid contributions from Austin Rivers since picking him up after he was waived by the Suns, as well as uh, the emergence of Daniel House as a um, 
as a, a legit contributor to an NBA team. A uh, fun thing with Daniel House is um, he was on Texas A&M uh, the same time I was in college, and he got picked for SEC um, all S- the All SEC team over a guy at Auburn, and I disagreed with that strongly, and actually tweeted about it, and did not tag uh, Mr. House. Um, but he seemed to have found that tweet, I guess, by searching his own name and made it a point to come at, after me and get some of the Texas A&M uh, fanboys to come after me as well. Um, so that's that's a little bit of Twitter fun history. Um, I still think I was right, uh, e- even though KT is not in the NBA and Daniel House is. Uh, KT was a much better player uh, that season, and I actually still think KT is a better player. Daniel House just happens to be, you know, six seven and super long, making him a stereo uh, prototypical NBA wing. Whereas KT is a little bit shorter, um, but uh, KT was a better shooter as well. Um, get at me, get at me, House, if you continue to search your name, um, but. Uh, the Rockets are probably going to have to get um, need Chris Paul to come back from his injury well and continue playing, or is this uh, the older, always hurt, a step slow Chris Paul, kind of like his future from now on? Um, it's because it's, it's important to note that even though um, the Rockets have been on this tear with Harden, you know, they smashed the Lakers, uh, or the, the Cavs, my bad, um, my apologies, by a lot. The other night, Harden didn't even have, got a 40-point tr- triple-double, didn't even have to play the fourth quarter. Um, despite how well they've been playing, um, their season-long numbers still aren't incredible. They're only plus 1.8 in net rating with Harden on the floor, which is which is a f- only a 45-win pace. They're minus 1.3 with Harden off the floor. Those numbers are not great. Um, you don't really want to be a you don't want to be saddled uh, with, if you're a 45-win pace team with your transcendent superstar on the floor. Um, you're probably not going to look pretty well, especially come playoff time. Even though the rotations sh- shrink in the playoffs, teams will be able to uh, game plan for your inefficiencies and kind of put the onus on your role players to kind of step it up. Uh, Eric Gordon has not looked very good this season. Clint Capella has been good. Um, P.J. Tucker has been up and down. Um, so we're going to have to see the kind of the, see if the Rockets can put it together um, anymore, kind of keep up this pace. I mean, I think playing at this blistering pace, just kind of given... Um, everything else that they've got going on is probably a little bit uh, uh, ridiculous to um, to kind of assume will continue, but I, I, I think we'll probably find a happy medium. They're probably not going to play at a plus 7.3 differential the rest of the season, but they're not going to play as low as a, a 1.8 with Harden on the floor, maybe settle somewhere in between there um, and kind of fight a way to finish, you know, in the mid-40s of wins. Um, however, if they, you know, if they continue to play ex- exceedingly well and they find a way to, you know, win 50 games... Um, that that would be great. They'd probably put them in the top uh, level of the Western Conference. They'd probably be able to secure um, uh, home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs, and I think that'll be important for them to advance and kind of say, like, yeah, we're still we're still what we were last year. We're still the cream of the crop. We're still the team to beat behind the Warriors. I think a um, before we kind of transition on, though, I think an interesting. Uh, situation we're going to get ourselves into is now that Harden's been playing so well, he's kind of clawed his way back into the MVP race. I've heard a couple people say he's already passed Giannis, um, which I I don't agree with, but I think this is interesting because if we think not last year, but the year before, when Russell Westbrook won his first MVP, he won MVP. It was his first season with uh, a triple-double all season. It was the first season after KD had left. Um, There's been a lot of debate back and forth. There's a lot of people who are like, that was a mistake. Harden should have won that year. Westbrook should never have won. Um, Harden and the Rockets, it's important to note that you were much superior um, to the Thunder, but Westbrook got it mainly on the back of the the triple-double narrative, and he's the only one. Like, he's carrying this team. Without this team, he'd be terrible, but the team only won uh, about 
you know, mid-40s level games, and they were bounced in the first round rather handily. Um, and so it makes it, so that's the argument um, that we saw happen and what happened played out there. And now a lot of the same people that are saying, well, Harden is now back in the MVP race, are were people that are that criticized Westbrook winning it then and continue to criticize it now and so they're now asking to have it both ways they um they want a double standard to be in place so that Harden can get it and I I think that's not fair I don't think you can if if we're going to go back and we're going to say that Westbrook winning the MVP was a mistake um with that whichever side of the that debate you sit on um if you can if you if you say it's a mistake you can't also support Harden's case this year if you want to go back and say oh Westbrook should have won it then then yeah I get it if you want to support Harden here because you're gonna have a guy performing transcendently bringing guys around him that are not as good or having worse seasons and and pushing them farther up if that's how if that's the argument and you want to make it who's the most valuable this year then that's fine but you have to you have to also accept that Westbrook deserved it when he got it it can't you can't have it have it both ways whereas you know Giannis is playing uh, just as good if not better than Harden I think he's probably playing better than Harden he's on a better team um the the Bucks are, are are a significantly better team than the Rockets and even beat the Rockets rather easily just the other night in the midst of this win streak and had um the Rockets in check for the majority of the game and they the Rockets did have a run to close it out but the Bucks spent a, a lot of that game you know up by 15 or 20 points so it's so I think it's, I find it difficult that um, if you're gonna bash Westbrook's case from two years ago, but then also but say Harden that needs to win him, you're kind of getting lost in the shuffle um, and seeing a little bit of a double standard uh, in that. But um, like I said, can't ignore Harden's play. I hope to see. I hope he keeps it up. You know, seeing guys perform at this high of a level is incredible. Um, if he keeps it up and keeps averaging like this, he might push it so that his scoring average would close. Uh, closes in on like mid uh, mid 30s um and that's a that's a rare feat um a player averaging like 32 33 or more it doesn't happen often in the nba and as basically every point you go up you get in a more exclusive club um and it'll be interesting if harden can find a way to uh continue this for the rest of the season and put it to the point where he's in that exclusive club is just this top tier dominant scorer um and you know he obviously has the skill and ability to get there it's just amount of maintaining that consistency the rest of the season um because it's the reason why it's so hard to average you know those 33 34 35 or, or more over a full season is if you have you know one or two games where you score like 16 or you have an off night and got 18 or something like that you have a couple of those then you gotta you gotta match them equally with some um even even more increased outputs um, you know, some 45-point games and 50-point games just to just to kind of balance out the difference um, and, how, and how the average is working. So that's why it's so hard. So I will definitely monitor closely if, if, if Harden is able to continue that for the rest of the season. Um, moving on, we'll slide right into uh, the second kind of big topic of this week's podcast, and that's just kind of we're, we're just under a month away from the trade deadline, um, and so we've seen some moves start to happen. I just kind of wanted to talk about the intrigue um, with the trade deadline, and then we'll kind of shuffle right into... Um, up into like the Pelicans, who I think are probably going to be the most interesting team at the deadline. But first, some recent deals that we've had is we saw the Bulls dealing uh, Justin Holiday to the Grizzlies in exchange for Marshawn Brooks, Brooks, Wayne Selden, a twenty nineteen and twenty twenty second round draft picks. Uh, the Bulls turned around and traded for Michael Carter Williams um, from the Rockets in, and Cash in exchange for a twenty twenty second rounder that's protected. Uh, the Bulls then waived Marshawn Brooks and Carter Williams. Um, when you kind of look at some of these uh, these moves for the Bulls, it looks like a, it's kind of more of a cash move. They obviously get Wayne Selden; they kept him on the roster, um, and he can provide something. But they kind of they waived the other guys. They got some cash from the Ross uh, from the Rockets. This is moves we've seen them do before. Famously, they did it in the Jordan Bell draft, where they gave Bell to the Warriors for cash, and you know Garpax. It was defended as uh, they uh, they you know 
they, they got equity for their shareholders and the owners and you know that's that's a uh, tough look when your team is not doing well and taking risks on young young guys is definitely something that you can do um i think this trade is a big deal for the rockets because it's going to save them some money that they would have had a guarantee for carter williams uh, might opens up their ability to move to do some other deals or pick up guys off the um buyout market uh when that when it comes time for that uh, memphis they get their young wing as they that, that they were trying to get when they tried to do the three-way deal with phoenix and the wizards and get kelly Oubre that fell apart um and so that was interesting but like with, with this kind of i i, I uh, bring these up and kind of talk about because this is going to interestingly frame like what the trade market looks like leading up to the deadline um who's going to be buyers who's going to be sellers a lot of western conference teams kind of we sit on the fence you know memphis they started out really hot they've kind of collapsed since then um we see them play lineups occasionally with neither gasol or conley on the floor which usually spells pretty is pretty problematic for them in that they get killed when both of those guys are off the floor um, and that's a really tough situation for them. Um, what we also we could also see the Kings or the Mavs um, put up pretty good numbers. Um, they both are kind of sitting right outside the playoff race, and so it could be, it would be interesting to see if either of them decides to to play buyer and make one move. There's been rumblings about the Kings trying to acquire like Enos Cantor um, and do something like along those lines in order to. Uh, put them in a position to compete the, for the playoffs. Similar for the Mavs, the Mavs could go out, um, and they probably need to improve their wing depth. They also just had JJ Barea get injured last night, torn Achilles, so they might have to encourage depth. We've also heard uh, tell of the Mavs maybe looking to deal um, Dennis Smith Jr. because he doesn't fit quite perfectly with uh, Luca, and how they might want to go that route in order to kind of open up their um open up their lineups to luca turn stuff over a little bit more to luca and if they do that it will almost certainly um improve uh just kind of the gel and they're probably able to get some pretty something uh, from dennis smith jr but i think how some of the smaller teams shake out buyers or seller wise is interesting but i think the big whale and the one i wanted to mostly talk about um, is going to be the Pelicans. Uh, the Pelicans are in this interesting situation where Anthony Davis has the rest of this season. He's got one more season after that um, before he's a free agent. They're obviously going to offer him the Supermax as soon as they're able to, um, and that's going to be important. But, you know, there's rumblings that he might want to leave. We've had LeBron start saying, like, he'd love to play with Anthony Davis, kind of start recruiting. Anthony Davis signed with uh, LeBron's uh, agent, Rich Paul. Um, and it looks like deals could be in the works to move Anthony. Um, you know, the Pelicans are good, but not great. You know, they had this great playoff performance last year where they just swept the Blazers out of the first round relatively easily, but kind of haven't really followed that up this season. But despite that, they have a solid roster. It's not like the Pelicans have a terrible roster. They've got Drew Holiday. They've got Julius Randle. They've got Nikola Miritic. Uh, uh, I think the uh, the the only the issue when you look at their roster is probably um, uh, three of their four when you look at their four best player, which is Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, Julius Randle, and Miritic, um, you can't play all four of them together. Randle, Miritic, and Davis can't all play at the same time, and that does spell some trouble when you can't put your four best players out on the out on the floor at the same time. Um, but other than that, they have a solid roster. They could they obviously have places where they can add or improve, and we'll talk about that later. But it's it's hard to um, it seems that Anthony Davis is dissatisfied. He wants to move on. He wants to find somewhere better. Or something like that. It seems like that could definitely be in play, and I think that puts New Orleans in a very interesting position here this year at the trade deadline. Um, I think if you're New Orleans, you know you can bet on free agency, but making a move here in the trade deadline might be a way to improve your team for this year. Let some cohesion happen, and then convince Anthony to take the supermax over the summer when he's eligible for an extension. 
and so I, I, th I would expect them to kind of aggressively move into the, to the market to kind of be a buyer in that idea. You know, they could try and add some wing depth. That's something I would seriously, um, it would make a lot of sense for them to do. Someone maybe, maybe like a Tim Hardaway who could be available. He does have a big contract um, with a big player option, but uh, he's a solid wing that's putting up okay numbers in New York, but mostly his numbers don't look great because with Porzingis out, he has to be the number one option, and he isn't a number one option. He slides into the Pelicans. He's not the number one option. He's the three or the four option. And, and honestly, his, his efficiency will prove his shot making will be good. He can play solid defense. Same same situation with like Torian Prince in Atlanta. There's some rumblings that Atlanta might not be might not want to pay Torian what he's going to ask for in restricted free agency this year. He doesn't exactly fit their timeline with Trey Young, um, and so they might want to move on from him. He's a, a solid wing who can kind of play defense and hit open threes when he needs to, but doesn't need to be ball dominant or anything like that. And so I think um, looking at um, the Pelicans as a buyer in this situation is kind of um, what I would expect them to do if the plan is to keep keep Davis. Because when you look at the other side of the argument, um, what you have is uh, will the uh, Pelicans sell now and sell high on Davis? With one year left, whoever they send him to will have a year to try and convince Davis to stay. Kind of what we saw OKC do with Paul George, and they were able to keep him around. And they could they could very well get a lot of good pieces. You know, you obviously know the Lakers want to get Davis. They they would obviously probably put together a pretty big package to get him. The one rough place is we know the other team that is really interested in Davis is the Celt is the Celtics, and because of the designations on both Davis and Kyrie, they can't acquire Davis until the summer. So that would kind of reduce the bidding war here now at the trade deadline and kind of push that out to the summer, which. In, in which case the Pelicans probably still, you know, I think they might be inclined to deal Davis. But um, again, I think if you're dealing Davis as the, as the Pelicans, you need to get back some significant stuff. You can't just get get back, you know, some solid guys and a bunch of draft picks. You need to get something that's going to keep um, interest, make the team still stay good. Because one thing, one issue they do have is attendance and excitement in the in an arena. And when you have Anthony Davis, one of probably the best, you know, six or seven players in the league, and you can't consistently build hype in that arena, that definitely puts you in a situation where it doesn't look good for the franchise. Obviously, obviously, the vultures of trying to get a team to Seattle are going to start circling. And so, I think one move that has to be kind of looked at. If you're the Pelicans, and if you think dealing Davis is kind of the way to go, the only the only way to make things work is I think you have to look at dealing Anthony Davis for uh, Ben Simmons. Zach Lowe mentioned him in this in his podcast recently, where he had Bill Simmons on. This is a pet theory of Bill Simmons as well. They talked about it for a little bit. I'm not uh, personally. I'm not someone someone who um, ascribes to the oh well the 76ers need to deal Simmons because he doesn't have a jumper, so he doesn't necessarily fit with Jimmy and Joel. I don't, I don't think that's a fair just leap to jump to in a player's second season. Like, if Simmons really wants to get a jump shot, he can get one. Like, it's not like he's incapable. He just doesn't have one right now. Um, and so I think that that's kind of getting a little extreme, but that's that's not really why we're bringing it into perspective. But if you're the Pelicans, that's a deal that kind of makes sense for both sides where you're going to get an extremely good player back, a player that if you surround him with the right pieces, which they theoretically could do, you know, with Miritic and Drew already, you get two other shooters who can play defense, and you've got this Simmons attacks, um, runs pick and roll, attacks in transition, and is just surrounded by shooters, which is probably the ideal situation for Ben Simmons to play in, um, and 
and you keep the excitement around the team. You got this new young asset who's really good, and that could be a kind of a reset for you. And then you also send Anthony Davis into a position where he's going to compete immediately. And he's, you know, if Anthony Davis is if gets dealt to the 76ers, I I think you got a pretty good argument that the 76ers maybe become the odds-on favorite to make the finals from the East in that situation because um, it, with how good the Bucks, Raptors, and um, Celtics are, um, all those teams now have no option. They, they can't guard everyone on the 76ers, and both Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid play some peak-level defense, and they become become problems because, yeah, the Celtics can play Horford and Baines at the same time, but then one of them has to guard. You know, Horford's been the Embiid stopper, but does Horford have to start, stop Anthony and vice versa? And then you know, um, it, it just it presents matchup problems all over the floor if, if they can figure out how to play together. And the high-low possibilities for Ant and Embiid are absolutely endless with both, both able to take threes and dump it into each other in the post. Um, it would be uh, it's certainly extremely fun to watch, um, probably like what Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins was, but on steroids. Um, so that that is one deal that I think would make sense um, if you're the Pelicans and if you're going to look into the nuclear option of dealing Anthony Davis. I think you, gotta, you can't settle um, for any deal that's kind of lesser... T- than what that is and what that is going to bring you in coming back but um we'll see if they go that route i don't i wouldn't expect them to but it will be interesting um if that's the decision they make and that's the way um their roster thinks is or their ownership and management think is the best way to kind of proceed and if they are really um extremely worried about anthony davis leaving um that might be the best move to make so they at least get some significant return from it other trade targets smaller fried targets um, not necessarily for the Pelicans, but just kind of to wrap up the trade segment that we might see. Um, looks like there's some interest um, in Jeremy Lin from both Portland and Philadelphia to get some point guard help. Um, Kevin Love, many teams continually inquire, inquire about him. He says he doesn't want to be traded, but that's that would obviously be a way for the Cavs to kind of jumpstart their rebuild and put them in a good position, especially with this whole Patrick McCall thing and the Warriors having it looked into and uh, the penalty could theoretically be a loss of a first-round pick this season, which would be um, terrible for the Cavs um, and their rebuild. Um, apparently, uh, the Magic may look, look to move either Terrence Ross or Jonathan Simmons. Jonathan Simmons hasn't been playing well. Terrence Ross is just um, someone who might be attractive to playoff teams as a scoring wing, and if the Magic can get you know some options in the backcourt, some point guard options, they could certainly do that. I also wouldn't be surprised to see a team like the 76ers maybe even target Torian Prince. Um, Torian Prince can do a lot of what the 76ers have um, Wilson Chandler to do, but kind of at a better level, so it would be interesting to see if... Um, they can want to go that way with him. I would not be surprised if they did um, going forward go with like a Torian Prince uh, or try and make a move for Torian Prince or, or an athletic wing to shoot threes, consistently play good defense to fit out there with their, you know, Simmons and B. Butler lineup. And then, you know, they're, they're just trying to shoehorn in two good wings who can kind of get down and defend and also hit shots when they need to. So we'll see. I think um, we're going to start to see stuff pop off pretty quickly here soon. Um, and it's going to be a very intriguing next couple weeks as uh, trades start flying and teams look to make moves. And then also we'll see what teams kind of sit back and wait and or just cut salary to be there for the buyout market because we do see the buyout market has already been hot. Um, Austin Rivers got a buyout, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and Wilson or Tyson Chandler got bought out, all that kind of mess. I think the buyout market will be interesting. I think the one thing that's frustrating for me on the buyout market is when teams like the Suns, who have Austin Rivers, don't want to pay him. Don't buy him out. Like, you can deal him for something. Like, 
you know, he just walked to the Rockets and made them better. The Suns, like, obviously you can't ask for a ton for him if you're just going to buy him out, but you can try and extract, like, a second-round pick or an asset of some kind. Um, it's definitely frustrating to see teams bad, bad teams make continually make bad management mistakes that make are part of the reason why they're still bad. So, um, uh, and then one last thing um, before we kind of jump off cover i thought the tom thibodeau firing was just weird um everybody talks about it's kind of weird timing wise but you kind of see all the mistakes he made as both the you know gm and coach it doesn't it's not surprising that they decided to cut him when they did um i don't think you can make those mistakes consistently he definitely bungled the jimmy butler situation um his his rotations have been the fact that he relies on his starters way too much have always been a target for criticism for thibodeau so i think seeing him canned is not surprising Yes, maybe the timing of it could have been better or different, but I don't think that was nearly as surprising. Um, they have been playing better since the Butler deal, but that doesn't necessarily mean they want, they're want they playing as good as they want to be. Um, but it is interesting, and I do think one thing is also true in that Glenn Taylor is probably the worst owner in the NBA. He's probably right up there with Sarver, um, and that being having a good owner is a great competitive advantage that both Minnesota and Phoenix don't have right now. Um, but that'll probably be the episode for the week. I think one last thing, one last team to watch uh, that I didn't get to cover this week is the Spurs are surging, and the way they are surging is super interesting. Um, with LaMarcus Aldridge and De- DeMar DeRozan on the team, they've kind of leaned into, like, these two guys are really, really good at shooting mid-rangers. We're just going to create efficient mid-rangers for them and let them shoot them. And when Aldridge and DeRozan share the floor, they shoot the highest number of mid-rangers in the league and the lowest number of threes. Um, those those frequencies start to normalize when one is off or when both are off, they're about normal and they shoot three and the Spurs shoot threes just as much as the rest of the league, but it's just kind of being interesting to see how Pop Pop's way of just kind of dealing with the team is to just kind of lean into their strengths and just be like, okay, they're really good at threes or two, mid-range shots if you're going to let them have them, and teams seem to be struggling to defend the mid-range against the Spurs. We're going to take them, and we're going to make them, and that's how we're going to make our offense run, and they're they're doing that, and their offense is a, more, is a pretty efficient offense of late as it's climbing into the top, has been in the top five offense offense of late cycled when it's based around that uh philosophy and it's definitely interesting uh and definitely something to watch for um on league pass and on game so uh thanks you guys for listening you know rate review subscribe leave feedback and i will try and put up uh some posts consistently but like i said with the wedding and honeymoon type shit stuff going on it's hard to post consistently but i'm going to do my best so keep tuning in here to tickle the twine see y'all